Welcome to the Pirate's Eye Podcast, produced by the Seton Hall Alumni Engagement and Philanthropy Department. I'm your host, Bianca Velez, fellow pirate of the class of 2010, and each month I'll be sitting down with an alumnus to chat about their career, their life journey, and the role that Seton Hall played in getting them where they are today, or continues to play. Today's episode features Jason Hernandez, class of 2005. Jason's experience at Seton Hall was very centered around his life as a member of the men's soccer team. And that focus led him to go pro in the sport and have a successful 14-year career in the MLS. Today, he's the assistant general manager for Toronto FC. But Jason's entry point to the world of sports actually comes through baseball. Take a listen to this episode in which Jason shares with us how he pivoted from one sport to the next. And as we come up on the close of Hispanic and Latinx Heritage Month, we also jump into Jason's roots as a second-generation Puerto Rican and the role that foundation has played throughout his journey. Jason, welcome to the show. I am so excited to chat with you today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm ready to talk all things soccer with you. (laughs) Sounds good. I can't wait. Um, So let's start at the present. Tell me a little bit about where you are and what you do. I understand that you are with Toronto FC. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so I currently am in uh, Toronto, Ontario. I serve as the assistant general manager for Toronto FC, uh, one of the soccer franchises in Major League Soccer. I've been in the role for uh, several months now. Um, retired uh, at the end of 2018 and got to transition into the front office. And so I've been doing office stuff ever since. And so that's, that's what I'm up to in the moment. So let's take it back. Walk me through the long journey of getting to the front office, of getting to Toronto FC. Where did it all begin for you? I understand that you're from New Jersey, New York area. So that's where it started, right? Yeah. So if we want to go all the way back in time, um, I was born in New York City. Uh, born to Puerto Rican parents. Uh, I lived in Manhattan for a couple years and then moved uh, up to uh, Inglewood, New Jersey, where I spent most of my life growing up, going to school. I went to Paramus Catholic High School, uh, where I ran track, played baseball, and played soccer. Uh, As I was kind of finishing up my my high school time, uh, soccer was just really a big passion of mine, something I was uh, doing pretty well in. So I had the opportunity to uh, continue playing at college and get a scholarship. And so I ended up choosing Seton Hall University. Uh, That's where I played. I studied business. um, I studied finance and was able to play for four years. Uh, did some good things, you know, got a, got close to some trophies a couple of times. And, um, you know, at the end of my college career, I had the opportunity to get drafted and I actually got drafted to the local team. Uh, they're called the Red Bulls now, but they were called the Metro Stars at the time playing at a giant stadium in East Rutherford. So uh, I got to play there for a year, uh, which was amazing. Um, and then my coach actually uh, left that club and uh, went to a team in L.A. And so he ended up trading for me and I went out to L.A. for two years uh, up to San Jose, California for about seven years. That's where I spent the bulk of my career. Um, and then I came back when New York City was starting a franchise in the Bronx, uh, New York City FC. Played for two years, and then I finished my career with Toronto FC. And so, um, you know, I had a, a really fun journey uh, of soccer at the professional level, uh, 14 years. I got to do some fun things, meet some great people. Uh, finished in the city of Toronto, which is a beautiful place, uh, at Toronto FC, which is a great place to work. And this is where I'm at now. This is where you find me. 
<laughs> now, when you first started your athletic career, when you first got into sports, did you imagine that soccer was going to be it for you? No, I had I had no idea about the game at all. It was not even something in my mind. Uh, you know, when I was a young man, when I was a boy, uh, you know, baseball was my number one sport. Um, something I took to uh, came really uh, naturally for me. I don't know if it's something about, uh, you know, kind of culturally or in the blood a little bit. My dad was, you know, very fond of baseball. Um, obviously, in the island in Puerto Rico, baseball is a huge, huge uh, sport. A, a ton of professional um, MLB players come come from Puerto Rico. And so for me, it was, um, you know, my, my passion, something I love doing. And so I really always thought if I had a future playing a sport um, past high school, it would be baseball. And, you know, I just kind of stumbled upon soccer. Uh, and, and really, it kind of took me over. It was something I became obsessed with. And so I never would have thought in a million years that soccer would be um, something that I, I could actually make a career out of. But, you know, it's funny, life has a way of, uh, you know, uh, laughing at your plans, right? And so that's <laughs> yeah. kind of what that's kind of what happened to me, you know, as, as a young boy. So when you start going into soccer, is your father or your family heartbroken to see you switch sports like that? Or what, what was that transition like? You know what? It was more so just out of curiosity. My parents, you know, they knew nothing about, um, you know, they knew nothing about the sport. They knew nothing, uh, you know, soccer at that time. And still to today, it's it's picking up some steam on the island. But at that time, uh, you know, soccer wasn't really something that was prevalent. And so, um, you know, really the only thing they knew was that a World Cup was played every four years. And so mm -hmm. for me to pick it up, I think they were just happy to see something I was passionate about. I think, uh, you know, just as far as athletics went as a young boy, um, you know, I just, I, for whatever reason, things came pretty natural to me. And so they enjoyed watching me struggle in soccer. I was very bad when I first started. I was terrible. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and so my dad's first experience of taking me to, you know, the local um, town soccer team and, you know, watching me sit the bench and watching me only play like two minutes, you know, at the end of every game and like garbage time. Oh my and God. seeing, you know, and seeing me upset or seeing me not have an easy time, I think, you know, in a, in a, in a way he enjoyed that because he understood that this was something that, you know, if it was an obstacle and if I was really passionate about it, I would have to find a way to get better. And I think really that's probably why I progressed so much in soccer. I think baseball, you know, it kind of, it felt right. And it just felt like something I could do where soccer, I really, really had to work to become better. And so I think part of that is the reason, you know, I kind of loved it so much. You know, I, it felt like I could see progress, um, you know, through the time that I was putting in. And so I just wanted to put in more time and it became like this endless cycle. Wow, that's fascinating. And so when you're in college and you're playing soccer at Seton Hall, and I want to dive into what brought you to Seton Hall in the first place, but set the scene. What is it like to be a college age student playing soccer wanting to be very good at the sport wanting to compete wanting to take it to the next level and knowing that the trajectory of getting there was one of putting in consistent hard work right because it didn't come naturally to you how did you balance that being a college student how did the other things not get in the way yeah, it's a good question. I think most student athletes kind of battle with the idea of, of time management and it, it not only time management, but energy management, right? Because there's only so much energy to go around and 
you know, the time you dedicate to your sport takes away, you know, and, and, the, and the energy you take to your sport takes away from the time and energy from your social life or from your schooling. And so, uh, you know, it certainly wasn't the balance I got correct all the time. I would say I got it correct most of the time. <laughs> um, but really, I think, you know, uh, to be successful in anything, you kind of got to set goals and, and set a routine for yourself. And so for me, you know, I showed up at Seton Hall at a time when the soccer program was very strong. And so for me, I walked through the doors knowing I was not the best player. I wasn't even top five best players on the team. And so to be where I wanted to be, I understood the only way that I knew was I'm going to have to work. And so I think, you know, you think of the two hours you spend in the gym, you think of the two hours you spend on the field. And then that was the amount of time that everyone was spending. So four hours out of the day, is the minimum. And so for me, and, you know, luckily it wasn't just me, but I had friends, uh, you know, guys my age or, or a little bit older and a little bit younger who wanted more. And so, you know, we would then again, go back out on our own and play, you know, pickup, or we would find sessions, you know, around town and nearby towns or back in my home, in my hometown where my club was based uh, to do extra, you know, extra time in the gym. And so it became this thing where whatever we did in a Seton Hall shirt, was, well, of course, that was the standard. That was the minimum. That's what everyone is doing. And so now what are we going to do on top of that to separate ourselves? And so when you do that, if enough people do that and, you know, you do it for long enough, there becomes a tangible and clear um, separation as far as how you think you can perform. And so, you know, the player that I was when I walked in as a freshman, by the time I was a senior, I mean, I, I left that person light years behind, you know, the things that I was able to pick up and learn and grow, um, you know, not just on the field, but, you know, off the field and understanding how much I actually could put into something if I cared enough. And, um, you know, all of these things, I think, led to, to me being um, an efficient player, an efficient student. And, you know, I think it set the foundation for me, hopefully, to, to be a, you know, a constructive uh, adult as far as goal setting and, and going after things that I wanted. Right. Yeah. And what brought you into Seton Hall? So you talk a little bit about coming in as a freshman, not being the same person as when you left as a senior. It Coming in as a freshman, who was that person? And why, why Seton Hall? What brought you there? Yeah, so I think my high school experience isn't too dissimilar from a lot of players uh, in my kind of my time and my eras that, you know, there wasn't really a ton of, uh, I guess you would say um, national profiles and social media and be able and, and the ability for people to have eyes on you. And so for me, I felt like, you know, I certainly went under the radar as far as, um, you know, people thinking I was a big player that I, you know, commanded, uh, you know, certain opportunities to go to, you know, big programs and all of these things. And so, you know, when Seton Hall told me that they were interested and they saw some potential in me, for me, that was like, oh, that's, that's all I need to hear. I need someone who sees me for not just who I am today, but who they think I can be and is willing to kind of work with me and, and join me kind of on this journey. And so, you know, I, I first met the assistant coach, Kazbek Tambi, who became, you know, a mentor to me in a big way. And then I met our, you know, legendary head coach at the time, Manfred Shellscheidt, who really served for me as like, you know, a, a, a grandfather, um, someone who, you know, really was uh, a mentor in, in as many ways on the field as he was off the field. And so, you know, when these two people um, were able to uh, talk to me about what they were doing at the school, talk to me about, you know, what they were about and the kind of things that they wanted to do with the team, I, you know, there was not a doubt in my mind. I was 100% going to this school and I wanted to be part of it. And so I think, 
you know, anyone who's been at Seton Hall and especially anyone who's been at Seton Hall in an athletic capacity, it becomes very much like a family. And so the Seton Hall right. men's program is, is uh, all family. And, um, you know, it was clear to me that that's where I wanted to be. And so you're in Seton Hall, you're going through it. You've got four years of soccer. What are some of the highlights from, from that team? Yeah, so you know my 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 freshman year, I believe we got to the Sweet Sixteen. Um, you know, we've certainly had some big games against some big opponents. You know, we beat uh, an undefeated UVA team on their field to advance in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, we've had a couple of uh, of big games in South Orange where we beat you know top ten ranked opponents, St. John's, UConn. Um, you know, that really kind of put us on the map. You know, I think of, you know, unfortunately, my senior year, uh, I got injured, but we went to the Big East final and we lost in penalty kicks. But even just to get that far was an accomplishment in itself. And so, you know, there's so many, I would say, experiences that I had on the field that um, they all felt monumental at the time. You know, if I had to pick one, I would probably say it was my freshman year down at UVA when we beat that team because that team ended up having, I think, four guys to go pro in the next oh, wow. 12, 12 to 18 months. And so they were certainly on paper um, a much stronger team than we were, uh, but we just went down there and uh, were able to pull it out. And so it, it's funny too, is like in many parts of our lives, you know, first impressions are everything. And so that was the first, you, you know, um, I guess playoff game, you would say uh, that really meant something um, in my life. Uh in a big way, NCAA tournament in one of the biggest programs in the country. And right. so to get a win like that, you know, the, the, the memory is kind of burned in your mind. It, it always, it always seems to, to stand out more so than the others, but I know there were a ton of great ones, but that one, that one stands out the most. Wow. I love it. Were there any least favorite moments? Like, oh, uh, if you could erase them from your college history, you would. Oh man, I got too many. <laughs> <laughs> I got too many. I got a couple probably, I got a couple where I would say, you know, as a younger player, I was much more temperamental than I was as an older player. And so I have, a, I think I would say I have a couple of dust ups that I look back on that I kind of regret because I think, um, you know, there's, there's a line between being competitive and, mm -hmm. and crossing it. And I think, um, especially with, I guess you would call them like, uh, highly competitive people. Sometimes you blur that line. And so I look mm -hmm. back and I go, ah, oh, that was, that wasn't the best, you know, but sometimes trying to rush, you know, to, to be rational with a 19 year old, uh, athlete, you know, in the heat of the moment, isn't always the easiest, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think for me, honestly, the biggest disappointment I, I think is just my senior year towards the end of the season, when the games really mattered, I picked up a really big injury and I wasn't able to participate in any of the playoff games. So really, you know, if, if I had not gone pro and, and had, um, you know, been, been lucky enough to have a career there, like, really any my entire I guess we'd call it playoff my senior year your swan song kind of where you go out and hopefully go out on top I would have missed you know all of those games like I really would have just had to limp off into you know retirement basically and you know I was lucky that I got to keep playing but I think it was the last regular season game um, I did my hamstring very badly and I was out like six to eight weeks and so I never played another minute for Seton Hall after that and so that that's probably my biggest disappointment that I couldn't walk away playing with my with my brothers, but, um, you know, uh, looking back on it, I think it was all for a reason. Yeah. 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 That's definitely tough, but you did end up going pro. So when was the moment that you realized that was 
a reality that was really going to happen for you? So I, at the end of my senior year, uh, I basically was busting my butt training because I was like, you know, if there is an opportunity that someone opens the door for me, I am going to go to some type of tryout and hopefully I nail it. And so we'll see, you know, I was not highly enough. I wasn't touted highly enough to be a big draft pick or anything like that. And so I knew my, my shot was going to be someone inviting me. And so I started training. And so as soon as my hamstring healed, I started training two, three times a day sometimes. So I lived down on Academy street down in South orange. And so I would wake up in the morning, train, go to class. After class, I would train, come home. And then I actually would do some type of social event. (laughs) You know, it was my senior year after all. So (laughs) I would go out for a little bit, no drinking involved. And then when I would come home at about 1 to 2 a.m., I would put on some clothes and go running. And I would be running through South Orange at like 2 to 3 a.m. in the morning. And so this is after my senior season. So this is in like December and January. Um, And so that for me was that's how much I wanted just this one chance and to, to, to kind of roll the dice. And so I got the call from uh, my head coach who said, you know, there's a team in, in uh, New England that wants to see you. So I said, okay, I'll go up there. So I went up there, trained really well. And they said, listen, if you're available in the draft, uh, we're going to draft you. And I said, okay, fair enough. So I left, you know, I kind of took it with a grain of salt. And then uh, when I got back home, my coach called me again and said, Hey, the local team at a giant stadium, I think they heard that you were up in New England. So they want to see you now. And I was like, oh. okay. <laughs> like, okay. So I went and trained with them for a couple of days and did really well. And they're like, hey, if you're available, we're going to draft you. And I was like, okay, I heard that before. Um, and I get home. And so I wait for the, you know, the draft is going on in the morning. And uh, I was asleep. Um, I didn't know the draft was happening. Um, and then, uh, I woke up to a call and basically the team at giant stadium, uh, had a pick before the team in new England. And so they picked me. And so, uh, I literally like, this is back in the day. I literally got up and my laptop was blaring with like 40 IMs on AOL instant messenger. And everyone's like, you got drafted, you got drafted. And so, I was like, you know, this is incredible. And so at that moment, I was like, well, you know, I, I got my shot. And so we'll see. And that's kind of how I found out that, you know, my dream, um, at least for the moment, was a reality. And what was it like when you played that first game? Like, did you walk in feeling like, oh, no big thing. This is the same as playing at Seton Hall. Or did it feel different? Yeah, it felt much different. You know, when you walk into a pro environment, typically you're going to see people that you've either idolized or you've seen do things on some of the biggest stages. And so walking into the team that I went to, you know, I saw someone who had won the world cup that had played in some of the biggest teams in the world. Mm. I'd saw, you know, I've seen, you know, two or three of some of the biggest American players, you know, of my era, um, you know, saw some of the most young promising talents America had to offer. And so for me, that was a bit intimidating, but also at the same time, you know, I approached being a pro uh, very much the way I kind of approached being, you know, in university was that I'm the underdog here. No one expects me to actually hit and no one expects me to actually have a career. And so I'm playing with house money right now. So I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to compete. I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to work really hard and we'll see what happens. And so, you know, at the time, um, you know, professional soccer in America, it wasn't the most lucrative field. And so, I thought, listen, I have a finance degree from Seton Hall. So, uh, you know, the soccer thing doesn't pan out after 12 months. 
Wall Street's down the corner. I can go get a job. I'll be fine. And so right. that's a very freeing um, type of mindset to, yeah. to to take your first steps in that kind of environment. And so, you know, I was able to really not put too much pressure on myself and get after it. And so it was it was it was really yeah, it was, it was great. And then that set off a career for you. Funny enough, that would set off a 14 year career. You wouldn't uh, you wouldn't think that that was the mindset that would set that off. But yeah. So, you know, I, the way, uh, soccer at that time worked was, you know, you had the, the, the first team games where you would play in the big stadiums filled with people. And then if you didn't play in those match the next morning, you'd play in what they call like a reserve game. Um, basically all the guys who didn't play to kind of stay ready to stay fit. And so really honestly, for 75% of the season, I would play in those matches on the next morning. I wouldn't make the roster to play in the, you know, in the main game and the main event, I would always play the next day. And for me, that was like the best adjustment platform, right? So I went and I was playing against pros, but they weren't the best, best guys, right? I was playing against a lot of the reserves and some guys who were, you know, just kind of supplementary on the team. And so I really kind of got to cut my teeth and, and, and adjust to the level, adjust to the speed. And so by the summertime, I was killing people in these games. Like I was mm-hmm. like, okay, like I'm, I, I am now fully adjusted. I'm ready to go to the main event. And so towards the end of the season, my team was uh, on the outside of the playoff race looking in. And so the coach was kind of wary. He's like, listen, I got to go with guys that I trust. You know, I don't, I don't know if, you know, I can kind of give a, you know, 21 year old who's never played a game um, his opportunity now in these games that mean so much, like it could cost us the playoffs. And so right. um, I, I was kind of biding my time and, and, and training, training hard and doing that whole bit. And then finally, it came to a point where I think we might have had like five, maybe five matches to finish the season where if we didn't win or tie all of them, we weren't going to make the playoffs. And literally, that's when they put me in. And so I got put into, uh, you know, a situation where, you know, uh, any mistakes and our season's over. And it was great and did really well. We ended up qualifying for the playoffs. Unfortunately, we lost in the second match of the playoffs. Um, but I mean, we actually lost against New England, the team that I had tried out with originally. So, um, you know, going against those guys. And I mean, they're some of the biggest players to, you know, play in our league ever. So um, it was just surreal all the way around. And, you know, to be at Giants Stadium, I mean, you know, I was in, uh, I'm a New York Giants fan. So like I'm thinking of Bill Parcells, Lawrence Taylor, um, you know, at the time, Eli Manning was. There. So, you know, right. for me, I'm in Giants Stadium. I got, you know, 100 people in the stands. Um, you know, my college friends were all still seniors. They're coming to see me play. So wow. it was like, you know, I, I can't even I can't even put into words what that feeling was like. Right. Uh, but it was a, a very, very incredible um, experience to play in that stadium and to, you know, play in some meaningful games my first year. It was great. Yeah. I can't imagine it. It sounds like it would feel very surreal. For sure. I mean, you look around and you think, like, I've been to Summer Jam here, you know, like, I'm, I've been, <laughs> like, you know, like, obviously, I've been here, you know, and I like this is I'm here now, like they're here right. for me now. And it's right. really, uh, it is, it is wild. But um, that's the way it works. Yeah. So it was really cool. That is amazing. Now, out of your 14 year career, are there any? Is there any one? particular highlight that is just near and dear to your heart yeah i would say probably the highlight that everyone loves to share with me is it's actually a funny one so in 2016 i was playing for the new york team new york city fc and we had gone over to portland uh to play a match and portland is one of the most uh 
chaotic environments in MLS. Like they just always pack the stadium. The fans are loud. They sing, they dance, you know, it's a, it's really a, a fun place to play. And so um, we had shown up and we were getting into the match. And so there was one play in the first half where um, our team was kind of under it. The score was still zero, zero, but um, obviously the home team, Portland team was, was doing well and they were putting us under pressure. And so I was dealing with one of their big, big strikers, uh, uh, this guy named uh, Fernando Adi. And so he kind of had me almost like posted up in the at the top of the box where he was trying to, you know, shield me and, and, and be able to play a ball. And so I was behind him, but he grabbed a hold of my jersey. And so someone was coming, uh, dribbling the ball inside, uh, a player called Darlington Nagby, a really, uh, a really impressive and, and quality player who now plays in Columbus. He was dribbling inside with the ball. So I tried to kind of break free off the guy who was pinning me down to go make a play on the ball. And the, and the the guy had both hands of on my jersey, and as I ran, the jersey completely ripped off of my body, <laughs> and so I just had my Under Armour on, but like I totally didn't even phase, and so I went and Dar- the, the player Darlington was coming in with the ball to take a shot on goal, and I sprinted and I tackled the heck out of him, and with no you know with just Under Armour on with no shirt, and the referee like the play goes out of bounds, and the referee comes up to me, he's ready to get mad at me, like he wanted to give me a card, and I was like, I didn't just take my shirt off, like I'm not out here disrobing on the field, you know, um, and right. so I had to go literally find my jersey, like you know, ten yards away, go pick it up, put it on, and start playing again. Um, but actually, yeah, so we uh, we ended up winning that game two one. Um, I won the player of the match, you know, got a got a little accolades at the end of the match. And I mean, it was a, it was a game that was, I think it might've been on Fox sports. So, you know, a lot of people got to see it. It was really a, a great game for me, a really funny, fun highlight. Um, you know, now I was on the field with some of the, you know, some of the best players, arguably, you know, at one point in the world, um, and David Villa, Frank Lampard, Andre Pirlo, Darlington Nagby, Dele, uh, Diego Valeri, some really, really heavy hitters. And I, I won the player of the match. So for me, it was like, you know, never in a million years, you know, I don't care who or where, like with these guys on the field for me to be able to win man of the match is like, it's absurd. You know what I right. mean? But that, yeah. that I just had a, you know, I had a day that day and it was incredible that that actually happened. <laughs> everyone, everyone, I mean, I can't tell you, people send that to me all the time. Just like, oh, I was going through my, my photo album, like saw this, just want to send it through. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, that was a good one. That is a good story. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one. Now, how did it, how did it feel to retire? How did retirement come about? Yeah, it was great. I would say um, at the end of 2017, I had played with Toronto FC and we had won um, three trophies that year. Um, that had never been done in the league. We had set wow. a bunch of records and done really, really well. So at that time, we were considered arguably one of the best teams to ever play in the league. So it was like being on the Warriors, you know, Mm-hmm. whatever that was, six or seven years ago, or like mm-hmm. being on the Bulls at some point, it was just really incredible. And so I told myself, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm retiring now. It's, you know, 13 years in, that's great. You know, we'll call it a day. And, um, you know, I actually got uh, the club contacted me because they were having some injury concerns and they were like, would you come back? And I was like, I really do not, you know, I, I don't think that's in the cards right now. You know, I'm back in New York. Um, my wife is set up here. I'm set up here for the long haul. Um, you know, I don't really envision myself coming back to Toronto for, you know, at the time it would have been like a nine month contract. I was like, that doesn't really make sense for me. But, you know, the gym at the time said, listen, you know, we think a lot of you and and, and to have you work for the club in some capacity post playing is something that's really interesting to us. So 
if you were to come, it wouldn't just be for nine months, right? You could actually uh, transition and we can talk about what your future looks like. And so, you know, really from the minute I ever stepped foot in a professional environment in United Stadium, I always thought about the end and I always thought, okay, well, nine months from now, this will be over and I'll go to Wall Street or, you know, three years in and I was in California. I was like, gosh, like this isn't, this isn't like the greatest life. Like I'm away from my family. Everyone's in Jersey. I'm in LA. Like, this is, this doesn't feel so great. You know, it'll be over now and I'll do. And so I consistently was always thinking about the end. And so at least now to know circling the date on my calendar, like, okay, eight months from now is the end. Like that's a, that's a really good feeling because I think you then can enjoy it. Right. And the things that you, that you really wanted to do and experience and cherish, you can do that. And so, you know, the conversations I would have in the locker room or the times I would spend on the training ground, like, those are just as important and valuable as, you know, the games in front of thousands of people and all of these cool experiences. And so, um, you know, for me, I, I never even expected to play nine months, let alone nine years. So yeah. to get 14 years out of it, um, to get, you know, countless relationships, experiences, like it was just, it was all, it all felt like icing on the cake. So whenever it ended, it ended and I'd be right. good with it. And so it was, it was, it was, it was all good. So now how does it feel to be working on the other side? It's different. <laughs> it's different. I would say what what one of the funniest things, not funniest, one of the weirdest things about being especially a former player who now is just in a front office is I could probably say, I don't know, I might have played over 300 games, maybe two games I got nervous or anxious for out of three, you know, plus 300. Wow. As a someone who cannot actually physically do anything at all to impact the game i get so anxious and nervous for every game like it's terrible i feel terrible like my stomach hurts like i can't even watch and i'm just you know and so the anxiety that comes with being helpless right and watch it like i can't like train and, and help you know i can't be right. on the field and help like i just have to sit back and watch and so right. it's so um it's it's great to still be involved with the game because you know, there's still a way to be around the game that I love, the league that I love, and still compete in a way. It's just not competing in the way that I have always done. And so right. it takes some getting used to, and I'm, I'm still not used to it yet. Hopefully I get there soon. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> I mean, if you if your record speaks, you know, any volume, it definitely speaks to you taking something and focusing on it until you become very good at it. So I suspect that this will be the same uh, just in a different, in a different aspect. I hope so. You know, it's, it's, it's funny as like, I feel like my motto has been in many ways in my life is like, they give me an inch and I'm going to try and take a mile. And so, yeah. you know, when it came to the sport, when it came to, you know, being at Seton Hall, you know, giving me an opportunity to be a pro, like I'm just going to try to uh, exceed expectations and go as far as I can. And so hopefully you know, hopefully I'll be a, don't tell the Don Garber, the commissioner of MLS, but maybe I'll be the commissioner someday. You know what I mean? We'll, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, watch out. We'll see. Don't, don't, uh, I don't mean it, Mr. Garber, please. Don't, <laughs> don't send me an email. Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to, before we wrap up, I want to take it back to, to the roots, right? To your roots. I feel like foundations are always so important to talk about when we talk about building ourselves up personally and professionally the way that you've done uh, you you know you mentioned taking on soccer and it didn't naturally come to you and you weren't naturally good at it 
but you persisted and you worked really hard and you focused and you were dedicated and that dedication took you all the way through and still it's reigning true now in your current position. And that really comes from your personal foundation and your roots. And so I know, you know, for me personally, I'm also Puerto, I come from Puerto Rican parents. I'm Puerto Rican. And those roots are so important to, to me and to the life that I've built. And I want to ask how, how do you feel your Puerto Rican roots have played a role? Um, And I ask this because right now I'm thinking about how we're in the midst of commemorating Latinx and Hispanic heritage month and those roots playing such a big role or not, but I want to ask you what kind of role do you feel they played in your life, both professionally and personally? Yeah. Thanks for that question. I think it's, it's, it's tough to put into words, but I'm going to try. I think, you know, my family, my mother and father both came from uh, Puerto Rico uh, as children, kind of in their preteens. And so, um, you know, they both lived a very difficult and different life on the island and honestly a very difficult uh, life when they arrived in New York City. And so, you know, for example, my father, I think at eight years old is when he got his first job and he was working, I think, uh, in the fields, uh, I want to say planting or picking coffee or, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and he would do this to literally pay for his own school books and school clothes so that he could, um, you know, be be functioning throughout the year. And right. I mean, for me to think that that's, uh, you know, an actual reality for young children at that time, um, you know, I couldn't imagine doing that at eight years old. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when my family arrived in my mom and dad arrived in New York City, um, you know, we're talking about in the in the 60s and 70s, uh, you know, New York City was a much different place. And so, yeah. um, you know, public schools were, were, were not great. And um, it really it really imposed a type of dedication and will and commitment to being to better oneself um, that uh, you are trying and put in a position by the parents that came before you to try to just do better. And so, um, you know, my mom put herself through community college uh, and became a secretary at Colgate for over 30 years. Um, my dad, when I was born, was working at a at a belt, a leather factory, a belt factory um, in Manhattan and put himself through night school to become an accountant. And so, uh, you know, and this is all obviously as a young married couple having me at the time. And so, you know, there is so much grit and so much vision that it would take to do these things. And in many respects to, you know, part from the norm, you know what I mean? Because, uh, you know, the, the emphasis on education, the emphasis on these opportunities, like it wasn't, it just wasn't really, um, in kind of the ecosystem back then, you know? And so, uh, it was something that I saw very, very early on. Um, and it was something that they learned from where they were from, like nothing's going to be given to you. And if you want something bad enough, um, set some goals for yourself, work hard and you can achieve it. And in many ways, you know, even though Puerto Rico is obviously a U.S. territory, um, my parents felt like they were living the American dream, right? They yeah. came, were able to find some, you know, some schooling, get a trade, uh, you know, get some jobs, save some money, buy a house. Like these are things that were unheard of, you know, to the generations before them. Right. And so for me now, looking at that and saying, okay, well, Jason, now what, what are you going to do? And so to be the first person in my family's history to go to a four-year university, right? And then my brother... 
to be the first person to go to a four university and also get a master's degree. Like these are the things that hopefully, you know, our kids are, you know, becoming doctors and, you know, going yeah. to Ivy League schools and all, all of the things that, you know, you, I guess you, you hope for as you are trying to move your family along and move them in a, in a positive direction. Right. Um, I know these are things that would not have been in existence in our reality or in my family's reality had they not been where they were from. Right. And that's, you know, the type of um, attributes that my family picked up from being who they were and being from the island, you know, and, and, and being proud, uh, being proud from being Puerto Rico. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. And as we talk about future generations, I also want to just pick your brain as an alum of Seton Hall. What piece of advice, what words of wisdom would you share with current and future generations of pirates based off of your experience? That's an awesome question. What I would say is I think, you know, if I could go back in time myself, I think I wish I would have been more open um, just to engaging everyone, um, networking, really fostering relationships. You know, when you are in any, any respective field, um, whether you're an athlete or, you know, someone who's part of clubs or, you know, in Greek life, you kind of get a little bit of tunnel vision and you're with your group and you Mm kind of put your head down. And I think if I could go back in time, I would really try to just be way more engaging and open to all different types of relationships and from people from all different um, areas and walks of life. Because, you know, I know, for instance, I was in the business school. And so, you know, all my um, kind of classmates and colleagues and things were uh, in my business classes. And so we were all kind of focusing around the same milestones and the same degree, you know, the same projects. And so, you know, I, I look back and say, man, like, I wish I would have, you know, dealt with people more so in, in kind of other schools and other other campuses and other um, fields of study uh, at the school because I think as you become older you understand that really um, so many things in this world get done by your relationships and and who do you kind of have contact with who have you been engaging with and so you know another thing that I would do you know ever beginning my freshman year is every summer or, or whenever it would be possible is I would try to intern somewhere or, or have a work study somewhere or be a part of some type of um, fellowship where I could go and, and get some exposure and meet people again in different, in different areas, uh, in different areas, in different markets, uh, you know, being so close to New York City, being so close to even Jersey City, Hoboken, there's, there's just so much going on, there's so much around, and you can have access to so much. And I think um, the access that Seton Hall provides you within itself, all of the people there, all of the assets that are there, but also outside and in close proximity. Like there's a reason, you know, so many um, Seton Hall alum end up in New York City. There's so much there. There's so much going on. And so uh, to kind of tap into that, I think, would be a, a piece of advice that I would give. Beautiful. Jason, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I want to thank you for being so open and willing to share all of your ups and downs and your trajectory. It's been really a pleasure to listen to. No, thanks so much. I'm, I'm, I'm free anytime. So thank you. Jason is one of more than 100,000 alumni who demonstrate what great minds can do with a Seton Hall education. If you're catching this episode right when it airs, Be sure to support Seton Hall's Day of Caring on October 20th by making a gift of any amount. And visit Seton Hall's homepage to take a look at the Hispanic and Latinx Heritage Month celebration, 
which runs from September 15th through October 15th. Remember to stay up to date with all of Seton Hall's alumni engagement opportunities and to view recordings of past virtual events that you may have missed, visit www.shu.edu slash hall hub. Share the news of this podcast with your friends. Be sure to follow us on social media at Seton Hall alumni. And of course, if you know of a pirate we should have our eye on, do not hesitate to email us at alumni at shu.edu. Thanks for listening. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the Seton Hall Pirate's Eye podcast. Mm-hmm.